Hello and welcome to the Magic Ball from Bear Camp podcast. I'm your host Sam. I'm known as at official El Samo on Twitter. This podcast is available on Podomatic, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And in this uh, podcast today, I'll be uh, doing a couple of transfer, uh, looking at transfers for Arsenal. And I'm joined by the one and only, the infamous. Everybody knows who he is on Twitter, Ben Jacobs. Hello, Ben. How are you doing? I'm good, Sam. Great to be with you. You might hear that I'm a little bit hoarse, but I will fight my way through. And the other thing that I must say right at the top is this is the best named podcast that I have appeared on so far. <laughs> uh, you, know, you know where this uh, where this podcast comes from, where this line comes from? Tell me. I want to hear the story. So, uh, you know, when we it was the final day of the Invincible season, uh, we played Leicester in the game, right? And uh, so Vieira scored scored, and the invincible record nearly went. (laughs) And you know, when uh, uh, Vieira scored the winning goal, the the goal that put us 2 1 ahead, the commentator said, Magic ball from Burkamp, and it found Vieira. So that's where where it originates from. The funny thing is, is that I'm a Leicester fan, I was born in Leicester. And obviously Arsenal and Leicester used to play from Arsenal's point of view regularly with a good outcome. And from Leicester's perspective, we very rarely got a result against Arsenal under the Wenger era. We never won, in fact, at Highbury under Wenger and the Emirates Stadium after either. And there was one highlight for Leicester, really, which was the famous 3-3 draw, one of the most iconic games in the Premier League at Filbert Street. And Dennis Burkamp scored that hat-trick and had that brilliant sort of spin and finish, which everybody always talks about. And I think what people forget, but Leicester fans like me will always remind you, perhaps not the best place to come on and do it on an Arsenal podcast, is that Leicester went straight down the other end and equalised and scored a couple of dramatic goals in that game to make it 2-2 and 3-3. And it was such a brilliant game, but that was Burkamp his most magical. And then in the other game that you mentioned, there was Leicester, as you say, going to a ground that they had a useless record at and we took the lead in that game. And even though we had nothing to play for, it looked like we might be the ones to sort of ruin the Invincibles party. And then obviously, as you've just said, back come Arsenal and hey, what a season that was. Iconic, Invincible. And I just don't think it will ever happen again. Yeah, and then we di- we didn't meet in the Premier League till the fourteen fifteen season, where one one at um, King Power and two one at the Emirates, and then the season later, you lot won the title. We beat you guys five two at your ground, and and two one at the Emirates, courtesy of a Danny Welbeck winner. And then as time went on, Leicester got stronger and started beating us. But uh, yeah, but uh, going into the uh, podcast, uh, so we're going to be discussing some Arsenal transfers. So. Um, We'll start off with um, the news that came out today, uh, Ben. I'm not too sure if you're aware about the news about Yuri Tielemans selling his house <laughs> in Leicester. Uh, what, what, what do you make of that? What, 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 what are your first thoughts about that? Well, I mean, first things first, credit to the detective work of Arsenal Twitter, if you like, for seeing a listing and then wondering if it was Tielemans' house and then going on a tour and then zooming in on a fridge and then seeing his kids' names on that fridge and then connecting the fact that it was Tielemann's house. And the truth is that there's not too much to be read into that at all. The Tielemann's family 
have not sold that house because they have got any guaranteed destination. And from Arsenal's perspective, and or Manchester United's, Newcastle's, the other suitors, there's nothing so advanced at this point that would require a footballer to sell their house simply because of necessity due to a geographical change. So that's the first thing to say. And these houses can go on the market suddenly for a variety of reasons, but from the footballer's perspectives that live in them, sometimes they just rent the house and other times they just want a move because they can get a better location. The area, by the way, where Tielemans lives in is called Quorn, and it's a very rural, affluent area around sort of Loughborough near Leicester. Leicester have just got this amazing new training facility as well. So there can be lots of reasons why a player might want to move in terms of the house. And having kind of spoken to people close to Tielemans in the last 24, 48 hours, there's been no indication that there is enough movement that if you say, oh, the house is on the market, that would therefore mean that he's definitely going to be off somewhere. But all of that said, putting the house to one side and the, as I say, excellent detective work of Arsenal Twitter to at least connect it with him. The reality of the Tielemans situation is that he will leave Leicester this window. He won't sign a new contract. And if Arsenal want the player, he's there for the taking. And not a lot has moved because Arsenal want to wait first to assess what they've got in the early part of pre-season and second because there's a variety of different targets, some of which fill different requirements for Arteta. Paqueta, who I'm sure we'll talk about, is one of them. Yeah, and the going advantage to be the next player that's on the list that we're going to talk about, because that yeah, one, advantage... that's another one that's been very heavily linked. Um, uh, uh, Paqueta, um, again, you know, there was news coming out that Arteta has put him up as, um, as uh, one of the signings for the window that Arteta would... Uh, would like um the problem again for us um i feel like the problem would be with leon is that our negotiations don't go down with them very well i mean of two years ago we we're trying to sign Hussein Awar and that didn't work out so yeah well i mean coming back to paquetra in a moment but on the telemans front the point of comparison was just that you assess because you need to see what you've got in pre-season and see, for example, also how a player like Vieira will settle in. And if Arteta's thinking about Vieira and Tielemans, then he might consider them an eight and a 10 and feel that they can play together. And that could provoke one approach. Or he may look at Paqueta, who's got the ability to be a 10 and play wide and think that that is a wiser combination whether they play together or it's just a case of having both within the squad and using them accordingly, depending on either the tactics or formation or just match scenario. But with Tielemans, he will leave this window and Arsenal feel like they don't need to rush the deal because they know that the player wants to join them. And the only way that's going to change is if another club makes a formal bid and then Tielemans will have a big decision to make because he'll have to either ask Arsenal whether they are going to come in for him or he may say he wants his future resolved and that is only then 
going to give us the true litmus if another club comes in first as to how urgently Arsenal really want Tielemans. They've never called off to the point of actually stopping any talks or negotiations, but clearly they haven't got the deal done as quickly as Tielemans believed in January. And I think that's the point of frustration. And sometimes we forget this during a transfer window, that when you're the player, especially in a World Cup year, you need to be sold on the club. And if the club has intimated they may come in for you pretty quickly in a window and then they don't, you start to get cold feet to some extent. And Tielemans in a World Cup year in particular, especially a winter World Cup, so you've not got the whole season to get any stability. You've not got a January to make up your mind looking ahead to a summer World Cup. If you don't start the season settled and in good form in a World Cup year that's in the winter, then your chances of either being selected or playing, starting for the Belgium side in Tielemans's case, could be hampered. So he's going to want to know where he stands. And that's the sort of battle at the moment is he'd love Arsenal just to say, to him we're coming and he'd say great and it would be done very quickly but that's not the case at the moment and Manchester United are growing in their interest and Eric Ten Hag really likes the player and Newcastle have made a few inquiries of late and then the Tottenham interest isn't real especially not after they've brought in a Basuma so he's there for Arsenal intermediaries have also been speaking to Leicester historically about a possible price. No formal bid has been made, though. Arsenal would prefer to pay just under 25 million and then stick in five to seven million of add-ons yeah. for an all-in package of somewhere close to 30 million. Leicester are hoping for a bit more like 35, but there won't be too much difference in valuation because obviously the contract is running down. So that will be the easy part. But the hardest part for Arsenal at the moment is just deciding between targets. And then once they do that, we should see them move a little bit later in the window. And then with Paqueta, who we may as well move on to, yeah, the, the negotiation. Yeah, the negotiation, as you've already alluded to, with um, Leon is tricky, but not as tricky as it was in January. And there's a lot of clubs that have circled around Paqueta for really the last. 12 months but particularly in January and those include Tottenham, Juventus and Newcastle and they were all told the same thing that it's 80 million euros plus some bonuses on top so you're going to have to find the best part of 70-75 million and that was intentionally done to price them above market value and uh, effectively ward off suitors and now, even though Leon are saying that they've got a lot of interest and offers, the club have softened a little bit because they're aware that Paqueta wants to leave. And even though he's healthily contracted at the club still, they see this as the opportunity to cash in and give the player the next step in his career rather than hold him back and cause any acrimony. And from what I understand, the three leading clubs at the moment that have made inquiries are Arsenal, Newcastle and Roma. And yeah. none of them have done anything official yet via Leon or had anything direct. And it's a case of trying to get a sense of where the player wants to head and what is a reasonable ballpark to start negotiations at. And then from there, we'll start seeing some formal offers from at least some of these clubs. And I think that he, he will almost certainly go by the end of this window. And where do you think Paqueta will end up? Like, your, your honest opinion, where do you think Paqueta will end up? 
Well, I always say this, my opinion doesn't mean anything. And the reason why I begin the answer saying that is not because I don't want to give it to you, but as a journalist, you, you form an opinion. Give, not yeah, out of you, you, you form an opinion on what, what you, you know, what comes your way. Um, you form an opinion based upon the information. information and when yeah. you're in the early stages of a transfer, it, it's misleading to say, I think X or Y, simply because there, yeah. nobody's spoken to the player yet in any great yeah. detail nobody knows what leon are going to be like to negotiate with no one knows who's going to bid first so like say like roma for example yeah. they look like selling zeniolo who's a phenomenal talent to juventus and if that comes off then they may dive into the market quicker and if for any unexpected reason that was to fall through, it cannot change the dynamic completely. So I think those that want a blow by blow of a transfer window always want to know what's the answer? What's the answer? Yes or no? Can you give me a percentage? And it's a little irresponsible as a journalist in the yeah, early stages. Of the transfer. In the early stages. It, it's an open race. But what I would say specifically on the Arsenal front is that from what I gather talking sources in Brazil, he's very sold by the Arsenal culture and that's partly because of how kind of intertwined the club has been historically and now with various Brazilian names. And ironically, not all of those names have fully succeeded from Brazil at Arsenal. So if you sort of think back um, very historically, like Edu himself and Silvino, naturally uh, great successes and uh, Gabriel and Gabriel Martinelli now also doing really well. And even though, Bizarrely, Gabriel is being spoken about as departing. A lot of Arsenal fans uh, may see him as a future captain too. So those are some of the sort of uh, better uh, Brazilians, if you like. But by the same token, there's been David Luiz and uh, William and uh, one or two others that unfortunately uh, haven't. I'll be honest, when it comes to David Luiz, I'll be honest with you. A lot of people will speak bad about the guy. But for me, he's the one ex-Chelsea player who's actually come to Arsenal. And I'll be honest with you, I kind of miss David Luiz because he was actually decent. A lot of Arsenal fans would give him a lot of stick. But for me... Personally, for me, he was someone that, you know what, no matter what game he played for us, he always gave 100%. When he played against Chelsea in the cup final, he gave it 100%. He, like, for me, you know, anyone else would be like an agent. Like, for example, Petr Cech in that Europa League final. He did not make, for me, it, this is my opinion, which is, you know, I, I'm not going to lie. I wasn't a fan of Czech, especially in the second or third season. But with Luis, he was one of those players that, you know what, he gave it he gave it 100% with most games that he played in for Arsenal. So for me, Luis is someone that, you know, I, I wish worked out a lot better. Um, William, like you said, I, I don't understand why we even signed the guy. I really don't. He just, he didn't make no sense for me. He but, arrived um, in good form though, didn't he? He arrived in good form, but I just don't understand why we even signed the guy. It's just, it was just a waste, an absolute waste. Um, in terms of the Brazilian market, it's good to see Arsenal slowly tapping into that, you know, the signing of Jesus. Um, Gabriel Jesus has been, you know, for me, the moment that the news came out, I'm just thinking, please let it be true. Yes, come on, come on, come on. I'd love a player like Jesus at Arsenal. Um, I thought if we were going to sign anybody from Manchester City, I thought we'd sign Raheem Sterling. But as today, you know, he's gone off to Chelsea, which is, you know, a massive coup for them. Again, the signing uh, um, Kula Bali. There's news about them going for Kim Pembe now. You know, 
it is going to be it's going to be a tough one really but um moving on to other incomings at arsenal ben uh there was something about grimaldo a few days ago uh but the benfica president came out and said about um about there's there's not been no bid made uh, what, what do you make of that yeah, I mean, this was Rui Costa, who was quite bemused at the notion of an Arsenal bid and dismissed that. And the one thing I'm talking broadly now before we get on to Alex Grimaldo to understand about a bid is that sometimes when an offer is made, whether verbal or formal, if it's rejected, it's flatly denied by either the seller and or the buyer. So it can be quite hard at times when trying to establish if a bid has or hasn't been made to know the truth because of the PR in which certain club executives speak out or don't. But my understanding, having spoken to both sides, is that a bid was never made and that Rui Costa is absolutely correct in what he said. And even Arsenal were a little bit miffed themselves that there was any suggestion that an offer had actually been placed. But one thing that is clear with Grimaldo is that he would be a very good option and in all likelihood at a budget price as well. So it's going to be a balancing act really at this point for Arsenal because they've already brought in Jesus for 45 million. If they are in the market for this creative style player, whether that's Paqueta or somebody in that Rafinha mould, then the one thing that both of those players have got in common is the price tag. So in Arsenal's budget, have they set aside that 50, 55, 60 million that will get them a Paqueta, Rafinha style player? And if so, that's already your 100 million plus, of course, the Vieira fee. And then if they are to make a move for a Tielemans style player, then that is another sort of 30, 35 million. And they may not go for absolutely everybody. Um, you know, it may be a choice between Paqueta or Tielemans, for example. But then when you come back to the defensive side of things, you're not necessarily this window going to be able to compete with, as you've just alluded to, a Chelsea for the type of defenders being priced at 45, 50 odd million. So that's where you maybe start looking at a budget type option. And the other factor is, is just that sometimes it's about bringing in depth backup players and yeah. alternative yeah. options and then looking at 20 million or under. And I think Grimaldo has a lot of aspects that could really benefit Arsenal, but not necessarily a priority signing simply because he'd be the understudy to Tierney. Whereas if you flip that and look at another player linked with Arsenal, which I think is a more interesting one, and say, what about a at a fullback, Kyle Walker-Peters? That's more interesting because you start saying, well... He's not going to come to Arsenal unless he goes straight into the side. And he's got a lot more potential still. I know he wouldn't excite every single Arsenal fan, but if you're going to spend the money on defenders and you are going to spend a bit bigger away from just a depth player, 
and you look at who else Arsenal either have brought in or want to bring in, they're going to have to be quite shrewd and economical with how they balance all the signings together financially because the numbers are already starting to add up if, and it is still an if, you factor in that sort of 60-odd million spend potentially for a uh, Rafinha uh, slash Paqueta style player. Yeah. Uh, so with with um uh, with with that, you know, the way that Arsenal are doing their business this summer, it's more it's more of like a discreet thing. Like they don't want to leak anything to the media until it's you know until it's either done or it's close to happening. I mean, which is a good which is a good thing. I mean, you know. Back in 2001, um, Saul Campbell came out of nowhere. Um, you know, Saul Campbell just just came out of the blue. You know, Arsenal just presented him the next day, and, and nobody knew about it. Um, look, looking at um, you know the the other the other players. I mean, we looked at Lissandro Martinez, and the one thing I do like about Arsenal is that if they're getting priced out of the situation, they're just backing out, retracting their offer, and going after another player who's more feasible. Um, but one thing is with Arsenal is that for years, we used to see Arsenal stay after one target and they never used to have a backup plan. And what, what we're seeing now from Arsenal is that they're having a backup plan. Um, in terms of Arsenal's uh, other, other incomings, where, where else do you see Arsenal strengthening during the single? Well, I think that Arsenal will be looking to strengthen as we've already said on the defensive side and um, I think it doesn't hurt to look at a fullback and a left back and then beyond that I don't think there'll be too many other priorities at this stage really so number one priority is to make that determination over is it attacking midfielder or is it a kind of uh, wider creative player slash number 10 uh, because Tielemans is, is more your kind of traditional box-to-box midfielder, whereas a Paqueta is a bit more attack-minded and versatile. Um, so that's probably the first determination. And is it a case of one or both? And I still think that is under some discussion. And then there will, in my opinion, be a defensive reinforcement. And then I think Arsenal can be relatively happy with their window. Getting in Gabriel Jesus was the, the main aim during the window and um, not a great deal else is needed um, because uh, Bellerin wants a permanent move away. Um, getting cover in that area um, is why there's been a focus on fullbacks. And um, if in a possible scenario, and it has been vaguely talked about, but I understand that there's not too much to it at this point, uh, Gabriel was to go, then at that point, a centre-back would be needed. And I think Arsenal fans uh, will be in the majority of wondering why on earth Gabriel uh, would be made available. Uh, it may be if an offer came in, the player just has an aspiration to go to a club like Juventus. And Juventus were looking at him as one possibility on quite a long shortlist if Delete goes and they knew that they couldn't get Koulibaly and Gabriel was mentioned. But if you look at it from Arsenal's perspective, he had such a good partnership with Ben White. I see no reason why Arsenal would want or sanction a Gabriel move. But if for any eventuality it just transpires that that happened, just kind of talking hypothetically now, even though I don't personally think that it's likely at that point, Arsenal might 
uh, be looking at a centre-back as well uh, over the course of this window. But um, I, I don't know what you think, Sam, as a fan, but um, I just think it, it wouldn't make a lot of logical sense from a football point of view to even entertain an offer for Gabriel. I, I don't think so either. I mean, part of the part of the process for Arteta and part of the plan from what I see is that he wants a really... Arteta knows what he wants. He knows the type of players he wants to bring in. Uh, and the thing is, Gabriel was someone that, you know, he they, they worked hard and fought quite a bit off to get him in. You know, why would Arsenal just want to sell him straight away? Um, Gabriel Ben White has probably been one of the best partnerships we've ha- had in a long, long time. Um, I'd be deluded if I say that that was probably the best partnership we've had since Meta Saka and Kashani. You know, that that partnership between Ben White and Gab, uh, Gabriel is quite strong in, in the centre-back position. And plus having Saliba there too adds more competition uh, to that side. Um, you know, getting out, getting that right back in should Bellerin, you know, leave permanently. Then you've got the the left-back issue as well. You know, if Tierney not struggling to stay fit, Tavares is going to be leaving on loan. Um, then, yeah, you know, with, with us, we'll still need a few more reinforcements. But um, Ben, one thing I, w- I would like to ask as well, you know, with Ben Leno leaving um, to join Fulham uh, shortly, uh, what do you make of, um, do you think Arsenal will bring another goalkeeper in? I mean, according to some reports I've read that Arsenal will be looking for another goalkeeper, but do you think Arsenal will go after one? Yeah, it's one of those where you have to sort of look into whether another goalkeeper is actually necessary, especially when you consider Matt Turner. And I think that there's not that many that are sort of in the market, really, that perhaps are the right fit at this stage. So if you look for a young goalkeeper, Slalina wouldn't be an option. And Chelsea and Real Madrid have obviously both been chasing his signature keepers like Pope and Henderson have already gone. So I think it's just a case of working out whether or not they need a keeper this season, because, you know, the way that the kind of Turner situation works is that he'll sort of, be an Arsenal player next season. Um, and that was a, like a worst kind of um, kept secret transfer, wasn't it? Um, with the New England uh, revolution. Um, so, you know, he's come in and um, will be the sort of number two behind Aaron Ramsdale. Um, and yeah, that's cleared the path for um, Leno to go. Um, and then, Arteta and Edu need to assess whether someone like Carl Hayne or um, Arthur Okonwo. Um, Okonkwo? Yeah, uh, sorry, that was a terrible pronunciation, wasn't it? Okonkwo, I should say, um, are going to um, step up or whether uh, they can find a sort of number three. And as I say, there's not many available who um, are perhaps young enough and um, of the right level in the market um, that Arsenal might choose to swoop for. 
over giving pathways to existing keepers at the club because it's quite demoralizing as a goalkeeper. Um, it's hard anyway being a number two, right? Uh, just look at, say, Zach Steffen um, at Man City, and um, he's going to go on loan probably to Middlesbrough. And he's the US men's national team number one keeper. And he's barely had a game and it's a World Cup year. So then if you're a young player now at Arsenal, like the two I've mentioned, and you've, you've seen Turner come in and then you're like, oh, right. And now they've brought another young 19, 20, 21 year old. Then you just feel like your days at the club are numbered and the pathways are gone. So I think unless anyone outstanding materialises that Arsenal really see as someone they can bring right through uh, to number one um, and investing in the long term, um, then what they've already got at the club uh, might be good enough for them. But we'll have to wait and see on that. I haven't honestly really inquired too much on the goalkeeper front um, because I think it was more about Leno can go because Turner arrived rather than Turner comes, Leno goes, and now Arsenal need to replace Leno. Uh, I think they already felt like Turner had come in as that replacement so I think that it may be on their radar to look at some young keepers but I, I don't think it will be um, an urgent priority yep that, that's that's perfect um yeah so um in terms of um so we're gonna have to slowly round up the show um so slowly because um, I wish this could go on for a long long time because this is you know a, a fantastic um fantastic show to listen to as well so for everybody else listening at home you know this is probably one of one of the best uh, podcasts I've done um uh, whilst uh, creating it um uh, in in your in your opinion so what would you uh, round up uh, in your opinion how many more incomings do you see at, at Arsenal how many more in in your if you could if you could give an estimate how many more players do you think Arsenal fans should expect to see Arsenal sign in the next few weeks? I think they should expect two and three is very realistic. And I think that there will definitely be another creative player, whether you call them a number 10 or an attacking midfielder or a winger that can score goals, whatever you want to call them, there'll be one of them. And then there will be defensive reinforcement as well. And then there might be a depth signing too that just sort of adds to the general squad. So I think that three will be in the mind. And then, you know, beyond that, I think that Arsenal will be happy to wait until January or next summer and assess with what they've got. Because really, even though it was disappointing not to make Champions League football, if you look at the nucleus of the squad in January and where they looked like they were heading and the form that they started the year in or ended 2021 in, there was no reason to believe at that point that Arsenal weren't flying high and the improvement and style under Arteta was clear and clearly disappointing. And the only thing people will remember is where they finished in the table. But what that shows you is that even though there perhaps isn't as much depth as Arteta would have liked, there's certainly enough quality. So you don't want to mess with that balance and chemistry to the point of making <coughs> too many signings. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's brilliant. Uh, as we are short on time, um, Thank you for coming on, Ben. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on tonight. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on this podcast. 
Uh, so thank you for featuring a massive thank you. It's been an absolute you know, pleasure. I'm very, very delighted to have you on. I'm very, very, you know, over the mood to have you on. Um, so, so yeah. Yeah, of course. An absolute pleasure. I hope those are listening aren't too put off by the crackly voice. I woke up a few days ago without any voice. So this is still a big improvement, but a little bit hoarse. And hey, let's hope Arsenal fans end the season hoarse because they're shouting and screaming and have something positive to celebrate. And as I say, you know, much of last season, they showed enough quality to suggest that that's what they can be uh, a team in Champions League football and beyond. And Gabriel Jesus's addition is massive because if you take his goals into, in a hypothetical world, last season, those alone would have made the difference between fifth and fourth. So even just Arsenal with only the signing of Jesus uh, should be um, in a much, much stronger position. And then, you know, Vieira has huge potential. Marquinhos is um, one for the future um, and um, also very exciting too and often is getting forgotten about in all the conversation. But, you know, in two, three seasons, I think we're really going to start to hear a lot more and see a lot more uh, about him as he's kind of gently um, embedded into um, the general Arsenal team. And then one more um, big signing. I know Tielemans will bring a lot of excitement and so would Paqueta. And then I think Arsenal fans uh, will be very happy with the window. So uh, good luck to Arsenal for the season and um, continue the good work, Sam, on the podcast and um, look forward to no doubt speaking throughout the season. No worries. Thank you so much, Ben. Uh, so this was the uh, Magic Ball from Burkamp podcast. Thank you all for listening and goodbye.